Hello. Does someone want to be my Valentine? You had a surprise for me. Yes, I do. And what are you supposed to be? His Valentine? I don't think so. Okay, fine. He's no angel, but he's not a murderer. Well, what are you waiting for? Watch it. Yes, the honey. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. And we're talking about Valentine, starring David Boreanaz, Marley Shelton, Denise Richards, Jessica Capshaw, Jessica Caulfield, and Katherine Heigl. Based very loosely on a novel by Tom Savage and directed by Jamie Blanks, whom you may have seen his other semi-famous film, Urban Legend. Released almost 11 years ago, Brian, uh, February 2001, on a budget of $29 million, it made $36 million worldwide. Brian, I think I know this, but why are we reviewing the film Valentine? Well, we seem to come up with a very interesting um, pattern here. On a holiday, Jay and I like to do some sort of horror film. So why not keep that pattern going with Valentine? It kind of ties also into our Art of Slaying podcast because it does star David Boreanaz. That's right. We are going to be starting up our season four episode reviews of that podcast. And so this film actually was shot during the making of season four and five of Buffy and season one and two of Angel. It came out, I think, in the middle of season two of Angel and season five of Buffy, but it was made in in the middle of all of that. We can talk about some of that as we go, but there's certainly the tie-in there, but I think you've hit it on the head. I mean, we had a lot of fun with My Bloody Valentine last last February, so, and uh, we've had negotiable amounts of fun with Leprechaun, and, <laughs> you know, Donkey Punch, and uh, Blair Witch with Nick, and some other stuff, so I'm always down for a horror film, man. Now, I gotta ask you this. Did you see this when it came out originally back in 2001? No, I've never seen this before until now. Wow, okay. See, I saw this in theaters when it was released. So, and I've seen it numerous times uh, since. And so, um, so, I, I, as a matter of fact, I'm trying to think if I've ever actually seen this on cable. I'm sure it's been on, but I, I think I've always just seen it on DVD or on one of the movie channels. I don't know that I've ever seen like a, a, a TV edit of this. I don't know what it would look like. I guess some of the language would be trimmed, but, and maybe waxing it wouldn't be in there. <laughs> we can, we can get to some of that as we I don't know. I think that might make the censors. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, maybe so. 2001, I don't know. So. <laughs> So, Jay, now that we're going to talk about this great movie, Valentine, why don't you go ahead and give us a short plot summary of what actually goes on in this movie? All right, so here we go. At a junior high dance sometime in the nondescript late 1980s, school outcast geek Jeremy Milton asks four popular girls to dance with him. Three cruelly reject him. Shelly tells him, in your dreams. Lily says she'd rather eat maggots, and Paige says she'd rather be boiled alive. While the fourth girl, Kate, politely tells him, maybe later, okay? A fifth friend, the lonely and pleasantly plump Dorothy, agrees to finally dance with him, and the two end up kissing under the bleachers. A group of school bullies discover the pair, and Dorothy claims that Jeremy attacked her, causing the boys to publicly strip and severely beat Jeremy up, and his nose bleeds heavily. Later in the film, it's revealed that Jeremy was sent to reform school for the alleged attack. Well, that's a bad day. Many years later, we catch up with Shelley, who is a medical student, apparently can only get blind dates with complete narcissist jerks. 
And after we see one of those, she returns to a dark laboratory to study for her final medical school exams where she receives an eerily horrific valentine. She's then stalked by someone in a long black trench coat wearing a Cupid mask who proceeds to slit her throat while apparently sustaining a nosebleed during the kill. Reunited at their friend's funeral, the remaining girls reconnect while police investigate the murder. In the subsequent days, Dorothy and Lily each receive similar cards as Shelley's ending with threats. Dorothy says they'll need dental records to identify her, and Lily gets a box of maggot-filled chocolate. Yeah, it's just what I like. Hits the spot. The girls notice the cards are signed by J.M., and Paige wonders if it's Jeremy coming back for revenge. Police inform the girls that they don't know where he is and that his parents died in a mysterious fire that was ruled an accident years before. While attending an art show for Lily's odd, semi-James Vanderbeek-looking boyfriend, the girls speculate more and are split up at the show where the Cupid shows up and shoots Lily with several arrows, killing her. No one notices her absence, though, because she was going to Los Angeles on a business trip. In the meanwhile, more speculation ensues and Kate reconnects with her on-again, off-again recovering alcoholic boyfriend Adam, played by David Boreanaz, who tries to console her in any way he can. We also see Kate's odd neighbor get killed by the Cupid and Dorothy's sketchy, mysterious new boyfriend, who may or may not be a con artist, killed the afternoon before her big Valentine's Day party at her dad's mansion. At the party, we see Paige get bored with her date and go off to the hot tub where Cupid appears, locks her under the plexiglass cover, and electrocutes her by throwing a power tool in the water which blows power to the main house and effectively ends the party. Kate catches Adam drinking and leaves him to go find her friends. Dorothy, depressed because her date seemingly bailed on her, she doesn't know he's dead, skulks around and her and Kate have a big argument over who is more the more likely suspect, Adam or her boyfriend Campbell. After learning that Lily didn't arrive in L.A., Kate phones the detective and follows the sound of the ringing phone outside where she discovers the detective's severed head in a pond. Then running back inside, she sees Adam who asks her to dance. She agrees but turns the table on him, knees him in the groin, and runs upstairs where she discovers several grisly murder scenes. She finds a gun but is attacked by the Cupid mass killer, sending both of them down the staircase. Cupid rises but is shot dead by Adam who rushes in to save Kate. He removes the mask and discovers that it's Dorothy in costume, and they presume it was her all along doing the killings. While waiting on the police to arrive, Adam comforts Kate and forgives her for thinking it was him. He surmises to her that childhood trauma must have led uh, Dorothy to a lifetime of anger and that some people eventually just have to act on that anger. Kate snuggles up to him and closes her eyes, and Adam's nose begins to bleed, revealing that he is Jeremy Milton after all. The screen goes black and we hear a scream as credits roll. And that is the plot summary for Valentine's. Kind of a mouthful. Yeah, a little bit. Um, Very well done. Uh, There's some interesting things that go on here, as we'll get into as we go through this. But um, Well, let's start with this setup here, Brian. The the holiday killer motif, been done. You know, been done a lot. All right? Sure. It's all all coming off of Halloween at this point, and Friday the 13th to some lesser extent. And this movie's made in the wake of what I call the Scream Wave. Scream came out in 1996. And the ripple effect was almost immediate. The, the, it's funny to note that the purpose of Scream was to end slasher films once and for all <laughs> because it pointed so much fun at them. And what it did was create a subgenre of the ironic slasher film or the self-aware It really brought, it brought them all back, yeah. Yeah, it brought them roaring back. You, Urban Legend is a great example of that. Jamie Blank's other film that I, I mentioned in the opening there. Very similar kind of setup, similar characters. Usually you got hot up-and-comers, generally off of television shows like 90210 and 
Angel, Buffy, you know, whatever those kind of shows. Are, I know are what you in, did last summer. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, that film is another great example. We've done that one. So you know, th- these things are nothing new. And this one kind of falls right in the middle of what I call the heyday of the scream wave. That really kind of ended in two thousand six, two thousand seven, for the most part. And, and this is this is another chapter of it. And I don't mind telling you, you know, the critics are pretty pretty well across the board on this one that this movie sucks i mean people hate this thing and love to hate on it and i guess what i want to ask you right off the bat because you are new to it what did you think i mean like dislike what do you think off the top of your head i liked it i don't know why people hate on it i thought it was done well i thought everything made sense so i don't know I'm wondering, too, now, did you have any connection to the book at all? Have you ever read it? Nope. I know nothing about this. I didn't have totally forgot it, but I do remember this. The setup in the book, the only thing this thing shares in common is that it's a Valentine's Day killer and it's somebody from their past. The setup in the book is that it's four friends from college and three of them pull a prank on this guy who's disturbed it gets him expelled from college. He goes back to his abusive parents, kills them, and then like 20 years later is released from the mental institution and goes after the, in the, the book, she's named Jill, but in the movie, the Kate character who doesn't know the other three girls are dead already. And it's sort of told in this flashbacky kind of sequence. And it ends really weird. And that's, that's really the only connection to it is the name and the basic setup. And I got to say off the top, starting with this, like being such young kids. And then we go to people like in their early twenties. Cause the, the sense is that these people are kind of all starting their lives right after school, real jobs, maybe their second real jobs or whatever, you know, and they're trying to find their place in this world. Does that work well for you? Or would you have liked it better? Had they been a little bit older? No, I think this works perfectly. I think it makes more sense going back this far and with the backstory that they put in there, having him be, you know, uh, sent to reform school after supposedly sexually attacking a girl. I mean, it makes more sense that he'd have more anger and uh, feelings at that age festering in him that length of time. You know, I agree and disagree. I like the fact that they're a little younger, but I kind of wish that the opening had taken place in high school or something like I have a hard time buying that this event in sixth grade becomes the defining moment for all of these people's lives. Maybe the psycho Melton, but the rest of them, it kind of seems, I don't know. They seem to not remember it. And then at their friend's death, they sort of recall intricate details about it almost at a moment's notice. Yeah, I don't see a problem with that either. I, for, for you got to remember, is the the grades six through eight are some of the toughest years of a of a person's life. That's a lot of transition, puberty's hitting, everything else. You're confused, and so an event like this that happens to him could totally traumatize a person for life. Especially if you know he thinks things are going well, then he gets accused basically of trying to rape a girl, and gets his ass kicked for it, and then gets sent to reform school because nobody believes that he wasn't doing anything wrong. They all immediately think he's just a pervert trying to get on a girl. And so, yeah, that could traumatize someone very, very well. And the fact that, you know, they're all friends probably throughout high school and go their separate ways and then meet back up after at the funeral type thing, you know, makes sense that they can remember this. Of course they're going to remember this. This is a pivotal moment of something that happened. It's not like just some passing by thing that happened. This is you would remember kicking the crap out of someone at a, a middle school dance. 
Well, and they clearly all remember that it was her word against his that sort of sent that all into motion. And they even talk about that later in the film at one of the police station scenes. Well, they, yeah, he really, you really did. He really did attack you. They say to her, and she admits no. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's a big turn in the whole thing. And, you know, there's there's other stuff to go with. I want to say this off the top. I think it's easy to pick on this film because it is really simple. And in a lot of ways, it is very formulaic and stuff like that. And that's the easy road for me. I, I watch horror films with the willingness to give it the conceit. You know, you, I think we talked about that in like, oh, I know what you did last summer. Did you have to kind of give the film some of its its needs in order to go with it? Or else if you start applying too much logic, what happens? The story falls apart. And this is the same thing. If you put this thing under the microscope too much, you'll notice the cracks in it. But if you just let it go for what it is, it's beautifully shot. It looks amazing. Everybody in it is gorgeous. And the the music in it kind of moves, even though it's some of that crappy new metal from the turn of the decade and all that. But it's got a, it's got great scenery. You've got actors that you somewhat recognize, but none of them really overpower each other. The only one that I would say is maybe not any good is Denise Richards, and, and she's almost hysterically bad in it. And oh. I, I'm willing to give the film its basic conceit, though, even though I would have liked it a little bit more had they gone with the maybe high school or college event to later. But I think that's because I'm in my mid-30s now, and so I'm wanting to see that again. When I saw this movie in my 20s, I totally bought it and totally went with it. So I'm I'm willing to go with it, too, because I don't need it to be elaborate, conspiracy theory to set it up sometimes the simplest answer is the best and so i'm i'm going with it too i said that's what i liked about it most was it was so it everything that happened made sense there was a reason for these things happening these killers the killer choosing his victims and things like that it made sense to me and it was simple but that's what i liked because it you didn't have to think about why he was doing what he was doing you just figured it out as it went yeah, I guess, you know, sometimes if you want to watch a Stanley Kubrick film, you watch Stanley Kubrick, right? I don't think you go to a film like Valentine expecting that. <laughs> and, and, and maybe if you do, you're, you're already in the wrong boat. Yeah. But, and I, you Big know, time. I like horror that is, that is smart, but I also can go with horror that at least reward the audience. And this, this whole movie is nothing but paying off, paying attention. Everything that is said in the first five minutes of this movie tells you everything you need to know. In spite of the next hour and a half's worth of misdirects, you know, and even some of them are, are pretty blatant, they tell you everything you need to know in the first five minutes. They tell you who the killer's going to be, who's probably going to live to the end, and who's going to die, and at least, and how they're going to die. You know, it, it's yeah. all laid out there, and if you pay attention to that and you watch it and follow it, it all makes sense. And that, to mm -hmm. me, I like that kind of reward in a, in a, in a B-horror film like this is. I agree. I think they did a great job. They gave it away. Right. Big deal. I don't have a problem with that. I liked how this happened, and I liked how they put everything together, and I like how he chose the victims and, and all that stuff. I thought it was well done. They also don't bother to go through the over-explanation of how he finds them and all that stuff. Like, that's sort of the, the questions you start to ask. And if you're asking those questions, you're watching the wrong movie, okay? That's not what this is going to tell you about. You're not going to really get Jeremy Melton's story. Because I I led with him off the top, and I think he's first building the cast in the DVD. But David Boreanaz is barely in this movie. He's in, what, maybe... 
10, 12 minutes of it all together. And most sure. of that is at the end. I mean, he's in four scenes, really, because I never believe he's in the Cupid costume no, at all. It uh, doesn't yeah. even I mean, look like him in the Cupid costume. No. Well, we can talk about this in a minute, but the Cupid is different sizes and shapes throughout the yeah. movie. They, they do a good job with their stunt casting. But but I also think that's purposeful. We'll talk about that in a second. But he's not in it. it you know who has to carry this movie is Marley Shelton. And now, where are you on her? Because I want to tell you, I had always said that's the sugar and spice girl, but I didn't put it together until doing a little bit of research for this. That movie came out like two weeks before this one did. So I saw her back to back. So that's what I knew her from. And I've always kind of considered her sort of that cute girl next door, but I liked her in this. I I sort of bought her as Kate. She's pretty likable. Yeah, I I don't think I, I don't recognize her from anything really tell you the truth but i thought she did a good job with the character i like that she was the kind of person who would stick by her man like that because you know even though she knew that maybe it was time to cut ties and she tried to cut ties a few times she always went back to this guy he was able to draw her in the whole time and she believed him then she didn't then she did so it was kind of cool i like the character of Kate, and I like how it went. And you could tell from the beginning, from the opening scene, where she was the one who who did say, you know, maybe later. Uh, she was the person who was just, she was the one who was nice to everybody, who wanted to please everyone, I think. And she, you got that feeling from her throughout the film. Well, what is it Dorothy called her? She was the popular one. So she was the sweet kid. You know, she was that good looking, cute girl that was nice to everybody. Even if she yeah. didn't necessarily want to associate with you, she wouldn't be a complete and total twit to you. Right. about it which is what endears her and you need that like i don't need deep characters for this they all are sort of one note and that's fine because they they need to play an archetype she's supposed to play this sweet kind of sensitive not totally sure of herself girl so that's why you believe she would fall for a guy like adam who's david boreanis who's got problems and stuff but maybe <laughs> would keep going back with him giving him second chances right yeah it also it also explains why she would be friends with people like these people, right? Because <laughs> the, none well, of these other girls are, are that likable. True. A lot of them, well, all of them pretty much are kind of bitchy and uh, mean <laughs> in one way or another. You know, Paige is a little mean on the aggressively oversexed side, and Dorothy's just a flat-out wench. And, uh, you know, we don't get a whole lot of um, uh, Shelly, because she's pretty much wiped out right away, but but you could tell she's annoyed by people and kind of stuck up. And then, you know, Lily, whatever. Let's let's talk about Shelly, because she opens the film when it gets into modern time. She's on a blind date with the Jason, what is it? Jason likes your dress. Jason likes oh, God, your dress. Yeah. Yeah, and that's your first misdirect because he's got JM as his initials, and they, yep. you know, the cops spent half the movie looking for him, apparently. But he's, I mean, what, like the classic worst date ever. Now, here's the problem I have with this I don't particularly care for Catherine Heigl as an actress, I don't like her personality at all, any stuff, but she is gorgeous. There's no way a girl like that would have a hard time getting dates, and they would, wow. she would not be dating a dude like this. Not by the time she got to medical school. It, 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 True, untrue, who knows. The, 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 with what her career is, I can see why she might not be dating a lot of people. I could see that too, but I just, I don't know. That 
that to me felt like we're we're forcing a misdirection on you, and I don't know that the story needed it. I was fine with knowing that it was Jeremy, and none of them knew who Jeremy was, and it could have been Campbell or Adam or somebody else. I, I felt like this guy was too much of a caricature to ever take seriously, and they pushed it over the line a little bit, and that's why he's so easily dismissible. He is, but again, when, when you remember when they're at the police station and he ages Jeremy Melton a little bit, he almost does kind of look like the Jason guy. Yeah, I never noticed that. I just thought it was just a bad, you know, that was so they could work in that bad line line. Don't you have any more recent pictures? Well, wouldn't we be looking at them? Yeah, you know, well, which I did think was I, funny, you know. But it, I think if you looked at, uh, if you wa- if you watch it again and, and you look at the image that comes up, it does kind of look like the Jason character because Jason shows up again at the party. I don't know if you remember. He's at, that. The, he's at the artist party. That's right for like a yeah. minute, and then he just sort of stares at Paige and then walks away, which is sort of weird. And that, and w- again, it's a misdirect. You don't know why he's there or why he would be looking at them. And I guess you play it off as it's total happenstance, right? Yeah. Because he wouldn't have known who they were because they weren't that in touch with Shelley at that point. Correct. So, yeah. So I don't know, but she goes. She goes back to the lab. And to do her now, I I do have problems with some of the timing here. Final exams are sometime in February or January. Apparently, because well, all this is supposed on, to take place in a week, is what it, it feels like. So it I don't makes know. Sense, it, it, actually, Jay, because I, I I have some medical friends who their finals are in March. So okay, well, okay, then then okay, it does make sense. I didn't realize that. So that. That does make sense then. So now I sound like an idiot. But at any rate, she's working on her finals and she's doing the whole cadaver bit. And I got to tell you, I knew something. I knew she was something was going to happen. It's going to jump out at her and get her. I did not see the let's get her out in the hall, the creepy Valentine. And then she goes back in and starts to cut the cadaver and <gasps> it takes a breath. That that was a legitimate jump. And even the you know having seen it as many times as I do, I always kind of get it for that scene. Like it's just it's a good rush. I'm like, oh yeah, that, it raises the stakes immediately. Never mind the millions of things that have to happen to make that work. It still it still gets me. I liked it. I think that's funny because that didn't make me jump at all. I actually knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I know it. I've known it too. I'm just saying I kind of go with it. I get. I don't know how, but. I just can go with this film from the start, and it yeah. gets me going, and I'm I'm with it. I and that's when I realize I'm in for the ride. At that point, if you can get me into this and this as predictable as this is, I liked it. Now, did you did you get the whole bit about how she gets it and how she dies? What is it she tells him at the dance in your dreams? Well, she dies laying down, you know, in a sleeping position. Essentially, that's what it's supposed uh. to be. No, yeah, I didn't catch that one. Yeah, that's the, the the symmetry of it. That's what it's supposed to be. That one's the the most obscure of all of them. But yeah, that's the one that you're supposed to that she dies laying down in the sleeping position or whatever. I don't know. I I kind of here's one thing about it though. This is a rated R film, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly light on the gore up until maybe the very end. And I was sort of surprised they didn't have a little bit more blood going there or something from what i understand there's a cut of it that is a lot gorier and that you know that had to be cut for ratings purposes but i don't know i mean i kind of wanted a little bit more i think at this point you're okay to show the knife slash yeah they didn't have a lot of gore at all i don't think in this whole movie even at the end the with the gunshots it wasn't that bad and the the electrocution wasn't that bad and yeah there wasn't a whole lot of gore in it and i think i liked it better that way because it left more to your imagination 
Could, could. But anyway, Shelly gets it, you know, and that's pretty much it, right? Mm-hmm. And she's done. And Catherine Hagel's been in this movie for four minutes, I think, at that point. So, yeah. I mean, it, I, I'm beginning to wonder. I'm like, man, people are flying into that of this thing fast. I don't know how this is going to last. And we catch up with everybody else at her funeral, essentially. Mm-hmm. And now, I, I got to tell you, I love stereotypical cops in movies, don't you? It, you're at the freaking funeral, and it's like, we've got a few questions for you. <laughs> yeah. You can't right. give us five minutes to grieve? Yeah, I don't really know a whole lot of cops who hang around at the funeral waiting to question the people. They always seem to be nice enough to give you some time to come down when you're ready or question you before it. It's not like they just got yeah. into town. They, they've been there. Uh, so. Yeah, well, see, that's the thing. I got the the sense that all these girls still lived in the same city, but it, that none yeah. of them had, they what? just didn't keep up with with Shelly as much because she was in school. Right. And you know that they were all in the same city because they were doing the the, the blind date thing together, the two of them were. Yeah. Uh, and they, they all get together. It's not like they're traveling an hour and a half to get to each other, this whole movie. Yeah, I mean, they're right there. You together, also so get, it's not- yeah, and you also get the feeling like uh, uh, Dorothy throws these big parties a lot. Yeah. So yeah, then that they go to them. So yeah, there's. I mean, you know. So there's there's a closeness there, but we get reintroduced to all the girls again, and that's when we get Adam on screen. David Bordonis sort of stumbles onto the set right off the set of Angel. Look like look like he was wearing yeah. clothes in I mean, the car from uh, the in the car from the episode where they go to uh, Fred's where Fred is captured. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's similar. I mean, he he looked like he took two steps over to shot it and went back. And from what I understand, he shot everything in like less than two weeks. Right. So it, th- that also explains the fact that he's not in this film very long. But I did I did get the feeling <laughs> early on that they handed him a page. He read it, went on screen, shot it, and had to go. And that was it. Was kind of perfunctory. Like it felt like a lot of dialogue from him was probably getting cut because it just wasn't clicking. Like there, there wasn't. I, I, the first time I saw this, I didn't automatically think he was the killer. I figured it would be some other random guy because I was like, they want you know that's obvious to make him the killer, right? Yeah. But it's it's only later that that starts to become more and more. Uh, See, obvious. I think I think that's why I like this one so much is because it's so obvious from the beginning that you think to yourself that it can't be him. You try to convince yeah. yourself that it's not this guy because it's it's just like blatant, right? This is the ah. guy from the beginning, and we're telling you right now this is the guy who's going to do it. Yet you you in your mind are going, "No, nah, it can't be him." Let's look for something else to tell me who else it could be. Mm-hmm. That's a and good I point. Like and that I like that. I think that's because this movie is told from Kate's point of view, if anybody's. Mm-hmm. The and in that way, we're supposed to be in her mind. And we kind of take the journey her mind does. Who could it be? What do I remember about Jeremy Melton? Oh, wow. Could it be my guy? No, it can't be my guy. Maybe it is my guy. No, it ain't my guy. You know what I mean? Like, you sort of go on Kate's ride with her. If if you have one character that's the thread through it, it's her, I would say. Don't you think? I totally agree with that. And she doesn't believe it's him the whole time until she finds the floating head in the pool with the IOU note next to it. And that's the only reason she thinks it might be him. Yeah, so. yeah, that's that's it. So, yeah. Okay, so some stuff happens then, and we kind of move forward. Let's talk about these weird Valentines that these young women get in the mail. All right? They're so Lily, sweet. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Lily, yeah, you are what you eat. 
and, and maggot filled chocolates. Mm-hmm. Okay. And as you we recall, him. right? Say what? And as we recall from the dance, she'd rather eat maggots. Exactly. So, but I'm going. It's a fake out though, because she's not dead from it. You know, she's right. just grossed out by it. Sure, but that means she's soon to die. <laughs> well, we don't know that at the time, but, but that's so all, ultimately they, what plays out. Yeah, right. So, the, so they're all getting these valentines, and they all have some cryptic thing in them that tell um, of what kind of hint at at uh, what was done. So she gets the one that says, or that you are what you eat. Gets the Mayfield ones. Uh, um, they're gonna need dental records. Who is that one? Dorothy. Dorothy gets that. Okay, they're gonna need dental. So that's the only one that never really came to fruition. Yeah, like I was expecting her to have been like burned alive or something, but we didn't get that, you know, because that's not yeah. what happens to her at all. She got Lily shot. isn't yeah. isn't eaten by maggots. She just has to eat maggots and then she gets shot. Well, she of arrows. Right, she gets she eats the maggots and she gets the arrows, that which is a nice way to die. But <laughs> at least he's tying it back together. Dorothy's never really gets tied back, other than the the. The note. She doesn't. Yeah, that one. That one is a little bit of a failure. I'm. But again, again, she's the one who agreed to dance with him, and then was making out with him, and then turned on him. Right. So the way they, I think, tie it back to her is that she accused him of being, uh, I guess, rapist or a pervert trying to get get on her. So he turns the tides and makes her out to be the killer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he blames it all. She blames stuff on him and ruins his life, presumably. So he blames it all on her and ends her life. Yeah. 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 That's the symmetry with her. But the, the Valentine doesn't matter as much. The whole point of it is that we're we're supposed to be character building at this point. And I got to tell you, I'm not engaging with any of these people beyond Kate because I can already tell who's who's going to get it. You know, Denise Richards is too pretty to survive a horror movie, but it's just a rule. She's going to take off clothes and probably die. And I'm just waiting for those things to happen. She also has the worst lines in the entire film, and entirely too many of them. She's Oh, she's horrible in this. And I don't know that she was ever a brilliant actress by any means, but not her best role. But And Lily is almost inconsequential, because she's in the movie, I think, even less than Shelley is. You know, She's just sort of in two scenes, and then we go to her boyfriend's art show where he's got video screens of... Men and women's faces saying, love me, hump me, hold me, you know, all this weird, <laughs> you know, that, that artsy, just weird stuff. And he tries to propose some threesome for her, which is, she's totally not down with. And then right. because of that, she must be punished. And she's shot not once, not twice, but like three times with arrows from the Cupid and then falls conveniently about six stories down into a dumpster, never to be discovered. I mean, because she's going out yeah. of town. I, and I said in the plot summary, how convenient. I was like, you know what? But yes, that's what you do in horror films. It's like Scooby freaking do. And it's working <laughs> out exactly like it. And I'm waiting for, I, at the end, I figured somebody would say, oh, it's the meddling kids, you know, <laughs> but with the mask <laughs> off. But I, I, but again, I'm not going to fault this film for that because like you said, Brian, I keep expecting it to do something else, but no, what I'm seeing is actually what is happening. Exactly. I'm just trying to outthink it. And that's when this movie revealed itself to me was that that kill it's made in the scream style and it's made for the scream audience. That's trying to outthink the plot. 
but mm-hmm. it's made in Friday the 13th conventions where the killer walks in and kills characters basically introduced in the scene of their death. And I I love this movie for that because it's so obvious that it's trying to be one thing in something else's clothes. That's yeah. humorous to me. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I think that that's the beauty of this film. This. And I agree. I think it is geared towards that uh, scream audience. Trying to, it's kind of like it's making fun of horror films by giving you the most obvious things that are going to happen. They're there, <laughs> and yeah. I—that's I, what I, appealed to me about this movie. I thought I, as I watched, it, I'm like, "Oh, well, this is going to happen next," and sure as shit, it did. And <laughs> you know, it's like, "Wow!" I, you know, I, I, I even texted you. I'm like, "Wow!" I think I got this all figured out already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like 10 minutes into it, and I was like, I wow, that." You, but you know what? You're supposed to, because again, they've already told you everything you need to know. Yeah. It's it's built on that convention that the audience is going to try to outthink this. They're going to try to think this is Scream, but we're going to give them Friday the 13th, and they're not going to know, they're not going to put it together to the end that what they were watching was the, you know, the most imitative of knockoffs versus the innovation. You know, yeah. this film doesn't excel because it does new stuff. It excels because it does the obvious stuff and makes you think about the obvious thing. If yep. a movie can make you think and try to dissect the most obvious plot point, it's done its job. If it's trying to make you engage beyond what's just there in front of you. Yeah. And that's the thing this does. And then they give you these weird non sequiturs. There's all these weird little non sequitur scenes in between the kills. You have Kate's like underwear stealing neighbor that talks in rhyme. Hey, yes. Kate, how about a date? <laughs> that, guy, a- that guy's quite odd. And, and I, I like how uh, he's trying on her underwear when, yeah. uh, when uh, Melton comes to uh, take him out. Yeah, and I'm, my thinking is, is Melton, like, is he just sort of watching, you gotta, if it's Adam, right, he's watching Kate's place, and he sees this going down, and then he, he beats the guy to death with her iron. Well, you, know, you gotta remember, you gotta remember that um, he confronted her in the hallway, and she told Adam about it, and he kind of, you know, blew it off at the time, but you not, you gotta think, he's trying to keep Kate all to himself, right? So this guy is yeah. now a threat to him. By trying to get his gal. And so he's going to take him out. Yeah, and, and we don't discover his body. His body's never discovered. He's just killed and then done with. And that, to me, though, is is one of the tropes, though, that I do ding this movie for. And it's it feels like every ten minutes we got to kill somebody. We can't just kill the main characters. we got to just whack, like, two or three or four random people because we got to have a body count. Like, I don't know that I needed this movie to have that in it for me to go with it. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like his kill and we'll get to Campbell in a minute and, and the, the, his ex-girlfriend that sort of shows up. You now I didn't need those deaths to make this work. I was sort of going with it as it was. Those felt a little much to me. Uh, on some of them, I, I agree, but I think this one was a good one to put in only because it shows that anyone who's, who's perceived as a threat to taking Kate away from Adam is going to be eliminated. And so this shows yeah. that piece. As for the other ones, I agree. Campbell really didn't need to die. He wasn't really a threat to anyone uh, in this movie. Well, let's, let's talk about him for a minute. His whole convention is that he's supposed to play the leech kind of con artist boyfriend that moves on from rich girl to rich girl until he 
kind of bilks him dry and then goes away. I mean, what's his deal? Because I felt like he had a story that got really cut and truncated well, down to nothing. I think what it, it's meant to do is to show you the 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 desperation that Dorothy still has. She's still the fat kid, yeah, right from from middle school. She's still the one who is looked at last, and I think that this is she's getting attention from a guy for all the wrong reasons, but she doesn't notice or care, and that's why I think it's his character is trying to sh- to show for for her. Can I tell you this? I actually think it's a little deeper. I think she notices. I think she chooses not to care. She I, wants I agree. to be blindly yeah. happy. I yeah, agree. because she sees these other girls happy, and I mean that whole bit at the end where she rants it it still ticks her off that she's the fat girl and Lily's the funny one and Kate's the popular one and Paige's the sexy one and Shelly's the smart one, you know yeah. she she wants to be beyond that identity so that what do they call it the boys in school call her what Buffalo I mean what a horrible nickname for a girl you know yeah. and I mean that that would traumatize you so I kind of get it and I like the fact that. She wants the fairy tale, even if she knows the guy's bad news. Yeah, and and I think that's the whole reason that he's there is to kind of show you that she's still kind of the one who's thought of last, and this is her way of kind of trying to fit in. How, how about his ex girlfriend Ruthie that kind of shows up <laughs> at the art museum and causes a scene and shows up at the party and the what is he supposed to be your better time? and I, I'm gonna tell you I love the way she gets it right she gets thrown through the plate glass of the shower yeah. and they shove her down on the glass now I actually saw in the theatrical cut where her blood Brian forms in the shape of a heart now they oh, nice. they changed that in the DVD because that was a little much but I want to <laughs> tell you when that happened in the theater I was like hell yes that's exactly what should happen. You know, again, it's it, I, the movie had revealed itself to me. It's Friday the Thirteenth in a scream overcoat. I, at that point, I was going with it, and I dug it. I liked the fact that she got in such a violent way because she was such a brash yeah. and violent twit. I agree. I thought her character was kind of funny. It was a nice little relief coming in there and kind of just kept showing up, and she was basically there to try and collect any money she lost on this guy, no matter what. Even if she had to steal it. She'd steal the Rolex watch, and yeah, I thought it was great. She's another one of those non-sequiturs in the film. (laughs) Just sort of this, we gotta have a scene in between the main pieces, and they just sort of shove it in there. It's kind of like the, I guess, the reptile boy of the the movie, if you will. Yeah, but she... We gotta fill the time. Yeah, she, she keeps showing up at random times, and they're all just really annoyed by her, and you as a, a, a viewer are like, really, what the f*** is she doing here? Well, well, you know what you're supposed to be doing if, again, you're out thinking the movie? You're trying to go, okay, is it the Jason jerk guy that Shelly went out with? Is it the artsy boyfriend that one of the threesome and didn't get it? Is it this mean ex-girlfriend? Is it Campbell? Is it Adam? You're supposed to be making a laundry list of all the suspects, but right? But those suspects make zero sense because they have no ties to anyone but one character in the film. The only one who ties back to all of them is the Adam character. Or the Melton character. Yeah, and that's the point, is that all those side characters, and Kate's weird neighbor in there too, don't count, but they're there for the misdirect. They're there if you're not paying attention, and you didn't pay attention in the opening, you're going down those roads. But if you're paying attention, you know that those people are there for humor. And you buy it for their humor and you want, and I hate to say it, you root for them to die in some creative way. And you kind of get that with all of them. One gets beat to death with an iron, one gets an axe in the back. Because think about the, the 
poetic justice of that. He's stabbing women in the back all the time, right? So he yeah. gets one in the back, yeah. you know, and then and then while he's bending over, you know, and then uh, Ruthie gets thrown through the glass and killed abruptly because she's kind of abrupt. So that's the whole the whole point, right? Is it, you got to give them credit for the way that they did the kills because they really made them make sense to the characters. And that's another part yeah. I liked about this film, too, is that they didn't just do a kill to do a kill. They did a kill that completely showed the whole, like you said, the guy who uses the girl, stabs him in the back after he gets the money and leaves, he got in the back. I, I, I liked how they did this stuff. The, the, the way Paige dies, that she's, you know, always ends up in the hot tub. She's the one who's got the vanity in her. And so she gets, you know, electrocuted to death by that. Well, she told him, I'd rather be boiled alive. So what yeah. happens to her? She gets boiled alive. But oh, well, yeah. I thought he was going to drill her to death, and he does hit her once with it. But that's just to get her bleeding, so we can have a little blood in the movie. And then just throws the thing in there, and it's you know Fry City, and you know the end of Denise Richards. So which yeah. I, I honestly remember people cheering. I, I remember yeah. this eleven years later. <laughs> people actually cheered when that happened. I was like, wow, you made a heck of an impression. Yeah. So, but you know, I mean, that's but that's what you're supposed to want in this this movie you know and that's why when everyone discovers a dead body nobody really freaks out they just kind of scream and run to the next room and it's okay yeah. you know kate's not traumatized by all the grisly death she sees we'll get to that in a minute but it's i don't know you know it's it's weird the only death that doesn't have symmetry to me is the cop's death you know i know why it's there you see his head float up in the pool he's on his that way that is get by kate. far the worst prop i've ever seen oh. in my life it is so it obvious it's a fake head, and it's so obvious that it's one of those like mannequin heads because it's you can see the flat neck where it doesn't have a body. It's so bad. If all these people are supposed to be killed by their fatal flaw or whatever, what was his? He hit on Paige, right? Yeah. So shouldn't he have been like strung up next to her, or I don't I don't know why well, removing his head was. Yeah. The th that to me just sounded like we had to. Have, that was the the extra extra kill that didn't really m matter in the film. Like that well, seemed a little off. There was a reason to kill him, and the reason was is that that he was coming to the place to investigate and figure it out what is going on, and that would have interfered with Adam finishing his work, right? So he had to be eliminated. But the way he was eliminated made no sense. Well, I got the feeling that he knew that Adam was Jeremy Melton, that he had figured it out, and that he tells Kate, don't say anything to anybody, just sit tight. Yeah. Like, he doesn't want to say that over the phone. So, like, I would have bought it if he had died with, like, his phone shoved in his mouth or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, if she was supposed to discover the phone ringing, it's yeah. sticking out of his eye or something. I know? think that would have made more sense, too. But, yeah, that was the only one that really didn't have any symmetry to it at all that I could really yeah. see. I couldn't either. Maybe it, one of our listeners that's seen it knows this. You know, it's it's one of the trippy things in the movie. You can ask me, but yeah, that is a fake head. I'm with you. That's the fakest looking oh, part God, of the whole, the whole thing. It's 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 cheap. It looks bad. They didn't spend millions on that. I promise. They may have spent it on that house that set. Well, I got we got to talk about Paige's death though for a second because before she winds up in the hot tub, Brian, she gets invited <laughs> upstairs. Now she met this date on one of the the speed dating things she goes on with Kate earlier in the movie. It's one of the humorous non sequiturs. This guy shows up and they're dancing sexy together, and you know they go upstairs. Stairs. And he takes her upstairs because he says, I've got a surprise for you. <laughs> and he just basically drops trowel and her lines there is like, you came to show me your stuff. That's so awesome. And what's his line to her? 
Wax it, Wax baby. It, baby. What, do you what are you waiting yeah. for? Wax it. <laughs> and she ties him up and pours hot candle wax on his on his man. And and, and we never cold. we never find out, Jay, what happens with him because I, we assume he's still tied to that bed when everything's all said and done. <laughs> when the cops get there and they're clearing up the dead bodies, they're like, "And we got this guy with wax all over his stuff in here. We need to get home for a band aid and some calamine <laughs> lotion because that is going to leave a mark. Yeah. That is that is cold. So I, that may have been the reason that uh, it was mostly males cheering when Denise got it." In the end, well, that could be, yeah, you got could be. you got half naked and you got boiled alive. But yeah, that that to me was you know is he? I don't know that he's dead or not. But um, Paige is one of the people they don't try to pin this thing on. You know, you never believe for a second it's her that's right, doing it. Right. So when she dies, she dies, and the cops dead. Now now we're at the end. The party's dispersed, and like for a minute, you see all these people cleaning up, and then all of a sudden they're gone too. Where the heck did everybody go? <laughs> I was like, did all the service just decide to ask her up in the morning? Like, really? Like, they everybody bailed. They didn't want to deal with Dorothy. That's <laughs> was it. Well, and there's a cut scene, I guess, somewhere where Dorothy's like fired them all or something. Because <laughs> yeah. I think I see one of them dead or something like the main maid or whatever. And then because the Cupid's whacked her. And then that's when he starts chasing Dorothy and Kate around a little bit. But we finally get to those confrontations, though, where you know Dorothy and Kate have the big throwdown about it. Could be my boyfriend. It could be your boyfriend and all that. And then Kate catches Adam drinking, drinking a glass of champagne, right? It looks like and he's had a few you, of them. Yeah, that sends her into orbit. You know, she just, no, you are a crazy person when you drink. You cannot drink. And he, it, that was the first time when I felt like they are tipping it back to everybody. Remind, remember, this is really Jeremy, y'all. Because he gets this look on his face that I don't know how they did it. But the kid that plays Jeremy Melton in the opening scene looks nothing like David Boreanaz, like nothing at all. Well, I but think they get that's the point. Same, they get the same look on their face with their eyes, just this intense hurt. You know, like, how yeah. can you leave me like this? And that's when you're, you're supposed to be snapped back into, this is really the killer, remember? Yeah, and I think that the, the point is that they made mention of it that, you know, it, it, could the killer have had any plastic surgery to make himself look different, right? And I think that yeah, you're supposed to that. assume that Adam has gone through plastic surgery to kind of change his appearance some. Right, you would figure he had he had gone through a lot of ways to change his appearance along the way, but he gets this look and it's a tip, Yeah, you know? And then, you know, that's when Kate, after she sees the cop's, fake head comes back inside and she sees him and there's that weird scene where he's like dance with me and I'm, at that point i'm like is he trying to tell her hey baby it's me and i'm doing all this for you i mean is that what he's doing i think so i really do and i think that they're 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 kind of bringing it full circle at that point because he's he, she's like it's you and he thinks she's just saying it's me you know yeah and this, that's when he asked her to dance and and she doesn't pick up on it uh, really, I mean, she doesn't pick up on it, but I think that's what they're trying to do. Is uh, he? Yeah, he, he. I think because he's drunk, thinks that she's fight figured it out or that who he is, but she hasn't. Right. Well, I don't know. I think she has. She thinks she has because she knees him in the nuts and runs away because she's afraid yeah. it is him. Yeah, I, and she she does figure. It. But I don't think that. I don't know that she's put him in as Jeremy Melton. I think she thinks that he might be the killer because his IOU note from her is laying with the dead head of the of the uh, police officer, right? So that instantly triggers that she 
she now has him as number one as a suspect. Because here's a dead body and this note that she gave him right next to each other. Right? So, but I don't think that she's put him and Jeremy Mountain together. And I don't think she ever does in throughout this movie. I, I really don't. Even though he's dropping tons of hints, I don't think she ever figured <laughs> it out. Well, let me ask you this, because what happens next is a little, I don't know, it's a little uneven for me, just a little bit. I, I get what he's trying to do, okay? I just needed a scene somewhere where Dorothy got clonked over the head or something. Because yeah. what ultimately happens is Kate gets a gun, Dorothy runs into her, and they both go down the stairs. Adam gets the gun, shoots Dorothy, reveals it's her behind the Cupid mask. There's the Scooby moment. But yeah. I needed something that let me know Dorothy had slipped away to get in her gear. I don't know. Like, that to me felt a little weird. Well, you know that Adam put the gear on her, and I, I would assume that he knocked her out a little bit, maybe, and then threw her at Kate, which sent them tumbling down the stairs. Because Dorothy's not going to run after Kate to to get her, right? So I think that he was kind of there and he threw her at Kate. They go tumbling down the stairs. That kind of wakes up Dorothy and then wakes up. Obviously, Kate is fine. She gets up. And that's, I think, how it, it all goes down, personally. Well, I, that's an interesting way to look at I just needed, I don't know that I, okay, you know what? Again, I'm now trying to think too much about it. I'm falling victim <laughs> to what I said earlier. Jason never shows you how he sets people up. He just does it. So right. if I just go with it, it's the, it's the Friday the 13th Scooby ending. And we're, you know, we have that, he shoots her dead. I mean, like he shoots her, man. He empties the clip in that girl. I mean, <laughs> I thought I saw Mel Gibson drop the whole clip out of the Breda and Lethal Weapon back in December's review. I mean, Boreanaz dumps the whole thing in her. Yeah. You know? So she is super dead when they take the mask off of her. He's basically calling the cops, pinning it all on her. They're on her way. And then we get the coda. You know, he's sitting there and Kate's like, I'm so sorry. I thought it was you. And he, I, I, it's okay. None of that matters now. And, uh, I've always loved you, Kate. And then the reveal, the nose bleeding. Mm -hmm. You know? And I like that, that they, they're they going to the audience, the final wink. There's your killer. We told you from the beginning it's the killer. He's still the killer. Yep, he's there. He's accomplished his mission. He's got Kate all to himself. No more friends that he doesn't like to distract her. It's just him and her now. I liked it. I thought it was good. Well, there's a lot of talk on the internet about this, Brian, and I kind of tend to lean this way okay i kind of think jeremy's there to kill everybody because we hear a scream when the credits go and i've read in more than one one thing that that could be kate screaming that no. the old idea is that if the symmetry of killing people works off their words like most of these have that you know i'll dance with you later i'll kill you later no does you know does he kill kate Absolutely not, and, uh, and I'll tell you why. The scream's not Kate, for one. It's part of the stupid music at the end of the of the movie. It's not a scream thrown in there as he's killing her. Uh, it's totally different from the whole rest of the soundtrack, so it makes no sense that that's that. So throw that out, people on the internet. Um, the thing is, is you got a serial killer here, a psychopath killer. If you look at all your past psychopath killers, look at John Wayne Gacy. His trigger was his mom. His mom is what caused him to become a psycho killer, but he would never hurt mom. Mom never got killed by John Wayne Gacy. Mom was his trigger. All these serial killers tend to usually have a trigger, and they will never harm that trigger. For Adam, it's Kate. For, for Jeremy, it's Kate. 
It's Kate is his comfort. It's what he wants out of everything. And he kills everyone in his way who has done him harm to get Kate. And I think that she's oblivious to the fact that he's the killer and throughout the whole thing. I mean, never was it set up that anyone knew that the killer had a nosebleed. The only people who knew that he had a nosebleed are you and I, the audience who's watching this. No one else did. There was never blood at the scene that they could tie it back to. None of that stuff. So... We're the only ones to know that. So the blood trickling down on Kate's face would never be a dead giveaway that it was him that killed everyone. So to me, he has now accomplished what he wanted to do, which was take out all these people who did him wrong. And then the one person who treated him nice, Kate, he wanted her to be his, and now he's got her. So I don't think that he's going to end up killing her ever. I think the scream is just a horror thing to show this is the movie's over. Ah, scream, horror, yeah, good. That's it. Well, you make a great point. I won't disagree with you, but I'm going to offer a counterpoint to it because I think it's left open where you can go either way with it because all good horror films do that for you in the end. There's always an open door at the end for the horror film, Brian. And and you brought in a real-world example, which makes a lot of logical sense. John Wayne Gacy, his trigger was his mother, never kills my But let me give you the fictional horror movie example that proves the obvious. Norman Bates's trigger was his mother, and he whacked her not once but twice in that series. So it is possible <laughs> that the psycho killers. Well, you got to see the psycho series to know how that goes down. We won't. We'll, maybe someday we'll get there, but that that happens. And so you you have to if you put the horror movie realism in it, you could see that maybe there's a possibility. I, I'm going to tell you, I kind of like the fact that there's a group on the internet, one that's followed this film enough to notice this, lasted long enough through it to notice the scream, and has now attributed that to Kate's scream. I'm okay with that. I kind of like the idea that it can go either way, and I, I'll be honest with you, I've watched this movie so many times that different times I will play it in my head different ways, like Kate's dead, Kate's not dead. I'm okay either way, because I'm satisfied with what I got here in the product. And so I like the fact that they give me... They've made so many choices for me in this movie that they give me one at the end. It's like, here's your cookie. You can do what you want with it. You know, it's the reward. I think if the scream were more in line with the voices of the actors and actresses that were at that level, instead of... It sounds like it's just a scream to start a song. I mean, that's well, the what Cuban, it the like. Cuban is different sizes through the whole well, thing. Right? I, 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 get, said, I get I, that, but I mean, we're right there, right? We're right there. He's bleeding on her. If any, if you're going to have her scream, it's going to be a scream and noticing that he's like the killer. And it's going to be right then and there. Not like this distant, far scream that comes in, in at the beginning of a song and the movie. It, on, on 48 Hours Mystery, you're absolutely right. But in horror <laughs> movie world, it goes my way and it waits to the know. credits, man. That's just, that's how these things work, man. And I'm, I'm cool with that. And I'm cool with the fact that the Cuban's different sizes. One, because probably in a mistake, they didn't think about getting similar size stuntmen. Two, they're trying to give you, again, too much to think about, that the killer could be any number of people, so it should look like different size. They can't all be David's size, right? So you don't, you don't want them all to be Adam's size. So it, it, uh, it, you need that kind of stuff. But I'm going with it. Again, I get to the end of this, and I, I come down on this, Brian, that this has been a good time. You know, yeah. and I, I really have got to say, folks, if you're banging on this, I think you're missing the point. But we're at the point of the podcast, Brian, where we've got to give those final comments, final wrap ups and the all important film strip popcorn rating. So what are yours for Valentine? 
I struggle with this because I, I really enjoyed this movie and I watched it one and a half times. I watched, uh, the whole movie all the way through and then I watched parts of it over again so that I can make sure that in my head I got the correct things going down, right? So I didn't watch it full twice, but I watched it and I enjoyed it both times. I think this is, for what it is, it works really, really well. And it, it, it you just gotta, like you said, go with it and don't overanalyze it. Don't overthink it. Just watch it realize the obviousness of everything that goes on and enjoy it. And that's what I did. And and so for me, I was debating on whether to give this a medium popcorn or even to give it a large popcorn. And I think that it, for me, honestly, I'm going to go with a large popcorn because I really liked it. And this is a movie I could pop in and watch again at any time. I would enjoy it. You know, Brian, I, I will tell you, the critic in me knows we're in small popcorn land here, okay? If I'm trying to compare this to 2001 or or The Great Gatsby or so, not The Great Gatsby <laughs> or The Shining or something like that, all right. But I know going in, I'm here for the B thrill popcorn ride. And had this movie been really scream like, in other words, had it been like Dorothy or Ruthie or some you know random ironic end. I would I would hate on it a little more. I would be medium kind of day old on it. But I'm going to tell you, because, as I've said before, this movie revealed itself to me as Friday the 13th wearing screens clothes. I really like that, and I have a lot of fun with it. Now, I understand Catherine Hagel hates this movie. I don't know that David Boreanaz talks a lot about it. Denise Richards probably doesn't know she was in it. I don't know that Marley Shelton remembers it. Jamie Blanks, the director, even tells people, hey, forgive us, folks, we tried. I want to tell you something, Jamie. You need to chill. You did a good job. This is a enjoyable, fun time. You want a fun, just kind of putting in with a group of people, semi-thrilling ride of a film. You can do a lot worse than Valentine. I would even go as far to say this is more satisfying than My Bloody Valentine that we watched a year ago, Brian, and it's way more satisfying than the Leprechaun films. <laughs> yeah, not even close. So, yeah. I, yeah, and and it's not, and it doesn't try to hit you over the head with its obvious symbolism and stuff like the Blair Witch Projects. So I like this film for that, and because of that, I'm going to join you in that large bag of popcorn, my friend. This is a large bag of popcorn. I I had a good time with this one, and I recommend it to folks if you like a mild scare. I mean, if you're not a horror film fan, like, you know, Brian's not really a horror fan so much, you can have fun with this movie. It's pretty accessible. And, again, if you just take it for what it is, it's going gonna, it's gonna to reward you for paying attention and having fun with it. So you go with it, folks. You have a great time. It's it's a good time. We we both like it. Yeah, and I got to say, the, the most telling factor in this for you, Jay, is that you've seen it a dozen times. I mean, you watch it over and yeah. over again. So that should tell yeah. you that you enjoy it on some level. And so, yeah, yeah it makes sense. I, I, this is a film I could, I could definitely watch it over and over again. Cause it, it, it's, it's campy. It's dumb. And like, I know what you did last summer. It's another film. that's kind of dumb. We've reviewed that too, but it's one that I'll watch over and over again because I enjoy it. I just let myself go with it. Exactly. And if you do, you will go with it. Folks, we thank you for going with us. I mean, joining us again here on film strip. We've got a number of cool things in the works on Filmstrip and The Art of Slaying, right, Brian? Absolutely. We got uh, Buffy Season 4 coming up. It's going to be released, well, I, I guess uh, 
a few days after this one gets released. We're, we're ramping up season four. Uh, people were a little worried, you know, that we weren't going to come back after taking a, we took quite a long break after season three, but really that was to figure out how we wanted to move ahead with the show, figure out, you know, get a, get a recharge of batteries on the show. And now we're hitting it hard. We're going with season four right away, season five, and then, you know, we'll take it from there, but we're planning on doing all of Buffy. So we're really excited about that. And of course, don't forget, we've got Leprechaun 3 on the horizon, oh. folks. Oh, St. Patty's Day is approaching. <laughs> Leprechaun <laughs> 2 was so good that we had to continue <laughs> with Leprechaun 3. I think I remember saying Leprechaun 2 is so bad, I've got to wash it away with Leprechaun oh, 3. <laughs> it, was, it was terrible. I hope it leaves. I hope. Yep. And, and, then, and then, of course, we, Jay and I, being huge wrestling fans, WrestleMania, right around the corner, We've got to cover a wrestling movie. And thankfully, you know, Jay, there are quite a few left that we haven't done. So, But we're going to pop right into this 2000 era of WCW and Ready to Rumble starring David Arquette. So look for that. Yeah, that one's a fun podcast, I will say. It was a very interesting movie. Yes, and we've got some other things in the works, too, on Film Strip. We're not going to tease you totally out on all of them. We've got some other stuff in the in the works here. Nick will be back on scene, and I'll be on. We've got a lot of stuff going on, folks. We really appreciate your support. Thanks for hanging in there with us when we take our breaks and stuff, particularly on Film Strip. We know that's really the more... We don't do as many episodes of Film Strip because... We could do a ton of content, but we'd rather do stuff that we're into and that we know you guys are going to be able to enjoy. And, you know, we're, we're always, when we take a break on Buffy, we're doing it so we can get the show, make it better for you. So we really appreciate your support, folks. Check us out on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com. You can get to both the Art of Slang and the Film Strip sites from there. Check out our archives. You can leave us notes in the guest book. Please don't spam us. We're tired of those. <laughs> uh, check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Folks, you need to be following us on Twitter. Brian is the tweeting machine. Follow us on Twitter. All the links there on the site. We tweet all the time. Stuff we watch. Nick tweets. Everybody does. So check us out and stay with us. we got a lot of cool stuff coming up in 2012 for you. Until next time, for Brian, I'm Jay. Thanks for joining us on Filmstrip. Listening to Film Strip. Okay, time to go. Watch the jacket. Visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, for more reviews and episodes. Right. You brought me up here to show me your things. That's so sweet. All content used or discussed in this podcast are the property of their respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act Section 504C2, Title 17.